Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. Guys, welcome back. Eric here, and we are going to be getting into a great podcast today. We hope you'll stick around. I've got Matt here with me, my co-host. What's up? And I have a very special guest, Mr. Stephen Gutowski. Hey there. And he is a writer with the Washington Free Beacon. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's quite, um, I guess, uh, ironic that we call this, you know, sort of like the beacon of freedom, LLP is, in terms of podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. So very cool to have uh, you here as a journalist. And yeah, uh, I can definitely appreciate, you know, your attention to detail and how unbiased you are in your writing. And, you Thank know, you. you're doing a great job. So we'd like to dive into a variety of different subjects today. We're obviously going to be talking about 2A a good bit. But um, walk us through some of your you know projects you got going on. Tell everybody about yourself a bit, and uh, we'll kind of get into this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the channel. Uh, love the meltdown videos, and so it's cool to see some of the uppers here in the person. Crowd um, favorite. <laughs> I've always been a big fan of those. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm a staff writer at the Free Beacon, uh, and I write mainly about you know gun policy and politics. Um, one of the only people doing that in DC in terms of like hard news type reporting. Um, and so I've, I've, I've had a lot of success with it over the years. I've been, uh, broken a lot of big stories, uh, you know, like the Katie Kirk gun documentary where she had, uh, re-edited people's, uh, words and cut them up. If you remember that one or, oh, yeah. or the Hillary Clinton, um, the leaked audio from her fundraiser back in 2016, where she said that, uh, the Supreme court was wrong on guns. If you, if you recall that, that was a big thing back during the election. And, you know, I've had a lot of stories like that over the years and that's kind of what we focus on at the free beacon is, is, uh, you know, hard news stories, uh, more so than like, uh, you know, opinion stuff like, you know, a lot of, a lot of conservative media outlets cause the free beacons, you know, conservative outlet, um, editorially, uh, you know, pro gun and, and, uh, all that sort of stuff. But my job is, is to write, you know, news, um, which is, uh, which is a little bit different than you see at a lot of, um, uh, other outlets that focus more on, on people's opinions. Gotcha. Um, so your, your reporting is strictly like second amendment and guns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, occasionally I'll do some other, like I do some campaign reporting. We all do campaign reporting when it's, you know, an election. Um, I just was out in, uh, Texas and Houston, uh, Texas seven, uh, profiling, uh, uh, Wesley hunt, who's the Republican candidate there. Uh, he's got a great story. I'm, I got a piece coming on, on that probably this week. Um, once I get back, uh, to DC, but, uh, um, but generally speaking, like the vast majority of what I write about is, is gun policy, uh, and politics. So I've done a lot in recent you know months on the, the surge in gun sales, the new gun owners, all that kind of stuff. Some of the issues that, people are running into when they're trying to buy guns, you know, in the middle of all these, you know, different lockdowns and restrictions. Um, you know, uh, I got a piece coming out this week on, uh, in Philadelphia, there's a year long wait to get just an appointment to apply for, for a gun carry permit there, which, um, you know, is obviously causing huge issues for a lot of people in the city. Um, and so I got a piece coming out on, on that this week. Um, 
but that's the kind of thing that I focus on is, is like trying to find news, uh, stuff that's not been reported on by other outlets, uh, and try to fill that gap. Cause obviously, you know, in, in major media, there's a big gap where they don't really have people covering this kind of thing. The only time they really cover guns is, you know, mass shootings, basically. Right. Um, the, the negative space. Yeah. And, and they really don't have people dedicated to the beat of, of, you know, guns of, of the gun owning community of the stuff that's going on there. And there's a lot that goes on as you guys know. Um, and so that's why I try to, I try to go out and find that. And then I also have, um, you know, part of that uh, is uh, a show that I do called range time, uh, on the free beacon YouTube channel, um, where I'll go and, uh, to interesting events like shot show or, or the NRA annual meeting, um, or, uh, a girl in a guns national conference, their training conference that they have, uh, down in Texas. Um, or I'll do profiles of interesting people like, uh, Mia Farinelli, who was a 15 year old, um, competitive shooter in Virginia. I did a profile on her for, for an episode. So, you know, that, that's why I spend most of my time working on that, that sort of thing. Uh, and you know, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a lot of fun, honestly. Um, and it's very rewarding to be able to tell people stories that aren't otherwise being told, you know? And that, that's, that's a good, that's a great responsibility, uh, to be able to report on, especially the unconstitutional aspects of it. Like you just mentioned where there's a year long waiting list to get a a permit to carry, to just get an appointment. Yeah. To get an appointment and that's not even, yeah, not even guaranteed. And I, I find it ludicrous that that's a lot of people will fall in line and say, well, like, I'm not going to protect myself because I don't have a permit to do so. I mean, yeah. And I mean, it, it draws to the question in Philly, like, cause, so Philly has the same permit process. It's governed by the same law as the rest of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, uh, this is in the piece, but if you look at um, 2019's report from the state police, they, they give you a report of each county, how many permits they issued. Philadelphia issued fewer permits than Bucks County, which is, which is nearby, but has Philly has two and a half times the population. And they issued fewer permits. And it's not because, I would guess, it's not because there's fewer people who want a permit in Philly where it's far more dangerous than right. Bucks County. Statistically speaking. But uh, it's probably more to do with the way that they try to uh, elongate the the application process. Because Philly adds these these extra things. Like you have to get fingerprinted in Philly. You don't have to get... There's no state requirement for you to get fingerprinted. Uh, you know, and then... Right now, Bucks County, you can go to where they issue permits, uh, the sheriff's offices. That's another difference, too. If sheriff's offices do all the other permitting in the rest of the state, in Philly, it's the police department. Um, and you could go to Bucks County's sheriff's department today and come out with your permit. Well, Love with it. completed completed application, at least. They have 45 days under the law after that to either deny or approve it you know, based on your background check and and whatever else they've got as requirements. But Philly, you go in, they tell you, oh, you got to make an appointment for next September just to submit your application. Wow. And there's no real good reason why you have to do it that way either. Um, Like there's no real reason from, I talked to Adam Kraut, who's a, um, a firearms lawyer in 
in Pennsylvania, he deals with some some of these uh, issues in Philadelphia with mm-hmm. people trying to get their gun permits. In case you guys don't know, Adam Kraut was the guy that ran for the NRA Board of Directors. That, right. Remember that that big fallout at annual meeting that year? Mm-hmm. That's right. That he Adam was Kraut. the one everybody was yeah. pushing yeah, Same for. Adam Kraut. He's, he's with uh, the Firearms Policy Co- uh, Coalition now. Yeah, um, good guy. But, but he practices law in Pennsylvania, um, firearms law, and so he has uh, clients that are in Philadelphia that deal with like the city's what, you know, whether they've denied the application and the, the client doesn't think that it should have been denied that kind of thing. So he deals with this stuff basically. And he, you know, he was saying by the statute, there's no real reason that you have to turn in the applications in person. There's no, there's no reason that Philadelphia has to take your fingerprints because none of the other jurisdictions do that. Uh, and there's, there's no reason a lot of this stuff couldn't just be done online. Even the, there's a picture requirement, right? You have to get your picture for a Pennsylvania permit. I actually have a non-resident permit cause I'm, that's where I'm from originally is Philly, but uh, I live in Virginia now. Um, and they don't honor each other's permits annoyingly so, for me, but yeah. so I have a non-resident and you know, it requires a picture, but even that you could just like a passport, you could, send in pictures. There's no reason that it has to be done the way that it's being done. And the way it's being done is leading to this ridiculous backlog that is causing people to not be able to defend themselves essentially. And that, you know, and in the story, I talked to a number of people who um, are waiting for their appointment and are very upset about it and are very uncertain about what's going to happen. Well, you know, what's, what's really jacked up about it too is, you know, when it comes to the government, and you paying them money, they they have all these convenient ways for you to pay them money. You can go on some portal, log in with your, you know, log in and yep. you can pay your bill or do whatever. So when it comes to collecting your money, oh, they're going to make sure there's plenty of ways to do that. But when it comes for, you know, down to them being accountable to your rights, right? I mean, it's bad enough that one has to pay, for instance, a $200 tax stamp to own an NFA item. You're essentially taxing a right. So the Second Amendment doesn't say, you know, you know, uh, shall not be infringed. Oh, but unless it's a suppressor or short barrel rifle or machine gun. Oh, well, you can you can regulate those. Well, you know, you can't tax a right. And that's always been my you know issue with the NFA stuff as well, is that you wind up having to pay a two hundred dollar extortion tax. And the item in question has to stay in NFA jail for sometimes almost a year. Right. So when it comes down to you exercising your rights using the systems that they put in place, such as NFA, uh, that it's okay for it to take a year for you to exercise your rights and not to mention having to pay a $200 stamp. You know, it it just seems to me that in the modern age of technology, and I know that um, a lot of the online stuff that you could do for um, for the NFA checks and everything like that, uh, they used to have it all set up on the you know, online system where you could submit all of your uh, documentation electronically. Uh, The online, you know, I guess, uh, form submission system. Yes. It was doing really good for a while. And then I think that they went, I don't know if it's because it got overwhelmed and they couldn't keep up with it, or if they saw that it was so efficient that it was making those wait times a lot less. Right. So there was a time when you could submit all this information electronically and they experimented with it for a while. And it seems like that kind of went the way of the dodo. And it it's a shame that with the modern technologies we have, when the government shows their willingness to use that technology to make it easier for them to get money from you, but not to make it easier for you to take advantage of your rights, which yeah. are your rights. 
I see a problem with that. So they're they're blindly they're choosing not to use the technology they need to make the system more efficient because I believe it is a purposeful and willful disenfranchisement of people's rights. I mean, just like waiting a year to to even get an appointment to go get a carry permit. Yeah. I mean, well, the bad guy ain't going to wait a year to come get you. Right. Right. I mean, you could you could walk out your door that day and get hurt. So if someone feels in their heart that they need to be able to protect themselves and they need a gun to do so, they should be empowered and able to go and solve that issue that day if they need to. And I think it's a shame to make someone wait a year for anything. NFA, Mm -hmm. carry permits, you name it. No, I I agree. And um, I think that's exactly what happened with the system is it was like it was both. So they used one as an excuse. It was it was very popular. The wait times were cut down drastically because it was online and they were seeing how effective it was. It did get overwhelmed. They took it offline, but they never brought it back online. So everything is back to hard copies like you have to Mm. fax in stuff and send it in. Uh, which, I mean, w- from what I've seen, I, I do know quite a few people that, um, you know, are waiting for their suppressors. Um, what I'm seeing um, just from what they've told me is about 145 days um, seems to be around that area, probably a little bit more. But around there is what mm. you're going to wait, uh, which is unfortunate because it shouldn't take that long. Sure. I don't understand. While, yes, it is un- unconstitutional. If you're going to do something, for example, um, firearms, where if they don't come back in three days, you're leaving with it anyways. As as crappy as it is, if they instituted that same thing with NFA items, um, I don't think you'd have as much pushback. You would still have those that that want to fight to have that abolished, rightfully so, but... Uh, it would you would see a drastic uh, increase in like say NFMs, SBRs, SBSs, uh, suppressors. Those types of things would be a little bit more normal. You would or, see or if more. NFA items were just treated like any other gun, which they right. are. I mean, a, a suppressor is considered a firearm, at least from the legal esque speak. It is considered a firearm. So why should a suppressor be an NFA item to begin with anyway? Why not just put it on a forty four seventy three and you're you're subject to the same type of scrutiny as if you lost a firearm, as if you used a firearm. Right. So, I mean, you wouldn't want someone stealing your firearm. Well, the same reason you wouldn't want someone stealing your suppressor or right. your short barrel rifle. It doesn't matter what the item in question is. Yeah. I feel like it would be very important for a person to take on the personal responsibility to ensure their property isn't, you know, misled, you know. Sure stolen or damaged or lost or misused that's essentially what they um what they wanted to do uh with the hearing right hearing protection act was just move suppressors from the nfa to uh, a normal uh you know for i always forget the number 4473 4473 uh check uh and you know eliminate the the need for the registration which is really what takes so long having filed those papers um and there's really no it's hard to imagine what the benefit of going through all that really is. So um, they know who has what. Yeah. Exactly well, that's the, the funny thing about this stuff. Like you guys talked about whether it's, whether or not it's, um, you know, when you have these sorts of, of things that happen, trying to figure out if it's intentional or just negligence or, or just screw ups on the parts of government. Cause obviously the, that's plenty common as well. Yep. Um, you know, and that's, 
that's that's similar to what's going on with DC because I think it can be both a lot of times. Um, you know, it can be one or the other, but then it could also be both. Like in DC, um, they had an issue at the beginning of March, the, the when the surge started, everyone started buying guns. Um, DC doesn't have a single FFL, or DC had one FFL in the whole city for a public FFL where people could go and actually transfer handguns because they have no there's not a single gun store in, in all of washington dc uh so if you want a handgun you have to buy it uh out of out of the district and have it transferred through an ffl to legally buy it right and so the issue with that is they they only had one ffl and then he decided that he wanted to quit in the middle of march um which left the city with no way for anyone to legally obtain a handgun again um, and if you know the history of DC, that was Heller was in DC. Um, they were clearly afraid that they would be sued again, uh, for the practical situation where, uh, yeah, it might be legal to buy a gun, but if you can't transfer it into the city, it's not legal to buy a gun. It's right. kind of a backdoor gun, uh, right. gun control in a way. And now this, this was the situation happened. The guy retiring wasn't DC's fault, right? It wasn't the government's fault there, but the situation where there was only one guy in the whole city who had an FFL, that was a situation I think clearly was that was created by the city government because they made it very difficult for anyone else to open a gun store or range or even just um, an FFL shop to transfer guns. And who's to say that that guy didn't have some hand in, in, in calling in some favor and saying, Hey, make sure I'm the only one. So he gets all the business. You don't know I mean, what maybe. other type of, of elbow rubbing went on. In sure. Practice. But like Especially the situation in DC. is in DC. <laughs> what happened in DC this over the last several months here. And so the solution is very questionable. Uh, but basically what happened is a, it's a one of the kind situation where the ATF allowed the police department itself to become an FFL, which causes a lot of troubling legal questions in terms of like, because obviously if you're an FFL, you have to store the right. the background check records yourself. Um, but also the government is not supposed to keep a database of those records. So, if, you know, they're in an interesting situation where the police department is keeping all these records, but they're, uh, technically not supposed to be able to the government agency is not supposed to be able to keep those records. So it's kind of, um, perilous what they've gotten themselves into. I think Um, So technically all they have to do is go back to the filing cabinet, grab the pile of 4473s and start rounding up guns if they want. Right. And that's the issue. That's one of the reasons that they're not supposed to maintain that data because it's not a registry. And so, so they've, but it can't be their solution registry. Really? Right. This was their solution to the problem. But the problem wasn't necessarily there caused by the city directly. Like they didn't make that guy retire, but they caused the situation where this happened because they don't allow people to open gun stores in the city. Like there's no way you could tell me. And I, you know, I live in Virginia right outside of DC and I, I go to Woodbridge, Virginia every weekend to the gun stores. There used to be like four gun stores in that one relatively small town in Virginia, about an hour outside the city. So you can't tell me that. DC doesn't have demand enough to support at least one gun store in the city. So the only reason that there isn't one, I think it, you know, logically is that the city, which the city council is very openly anti-gun, obviously. Um, so the idea that 
nobody is able to open a gun store there. That that has to be at least in part because of the restrictions, because of how hard the city makes makes it to open a gun store. This was, uh, I mean, this this sort of thing's been litigated before, right? Chicago, there's no gun ranges in the whole city of Chicago, right? A giant city, not a single gun range, because the city council made it basically impossible through zoning to open one. And so they got sued by uh, the Second Amendment Foundation case, um, uh, was it Rhonda Izell, and they won. But even still, even after winning in court, there still isn't a gun range in Chicago yet. Um, it's just gonna they, they can make it, to make yeah. it they can make it really hard so uh, to me like oftentimes it's a combination of both um, intentionally making things very difficult like we're seeing in Philly with the with that doesn't have to be that way it is that way because they want it to be harder I, I you know I think that's the logical conclusion of it I think it's hard to argue otherwise like they can make up they can say oh it's because of safety or whatever but like they know that the outcome is that the fewer people will be able to get the permits. And I think that's oftentimes publicly that that's what they'll say. They don't want people to own guns. They don't want people to carry guns. And so they make it as hard as they can. Um, and then at the same time, sometimes it is like it's, it's just kind of incompetence or, or bad luck or, or whatever is going on in addition to, to, uh, to that. And sometimes it's one or the, you know, one or the other, but, but uh, they can absolutely combine into like the, the DC situation where it's like they created a situation where there was only one guy and that one guy retired and then they had to scramble to come up with some harebrained scheme to try and not get sued over the fact that you couldn't buy a, a handgun in DC. And what they came up, like they came up with something and they've been processing transfers. It hasn't been going well. I've written a couple stories on it. It takes a long time to get through, especially early on because the police, it was, they just had like, you know, your normal police officer suddenly made him an FFL. And it's like, you know, if you guys have worked for FFL, so you know that it's not, you know, you don't necessarily just throw somebody in who doesn't know anything about how to process transfers or how to store guns or how to do anything. How to store that paperwork. Cause there's a lot yeah. of sensitive information on that. And paperwork. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out that they're not storing it properly. Um, and they get into a lot of trouble for that. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> they, they probably aren't. Well, there's also a societal thing in play as well. And I believe that a lot of the way that these large municipalities, cities, you know, these big areas that are predominantly Democrat, that are predominantly blue, and they tend to have predominantly anti-gun policies uh, in general, I believe that that starts at a societal level, right, a cultural level. And I believe that, you know, kind of getting into the soul of that situation, what we end up getting into is, yeah, when you have a bunch of liberal teachers telling their students, oh, yeah, you can't own a gun, that's illegal. So if you're told that you can't do something by people that, you know, when you're young and impressionable, you look at your teachers as, oh, well, my teachers tell me that. Well, then they, they wouldn't tell me wrong because we're programmed to think that our teachers have our best interests in mind and that they care about, you know, us being productive members of society and, and going into the world as a good, a well-informed person that is going to be a productive member of said society. So we're programmed to think that teachers would never tell us the wrong thing, even though a lot of cases, when you look at, uh, for instance, up in Portland, uh, they arrested a whole bunch of people that were rioting and looting up there, and there was all these mugshots on the news. And I think there was one segment there where they arrested like 18 people or something like that. I'm not being exact here, but I just recall seeing the screenshot of all the mugshots, and out of the mugshots... Eight or nine of them were educators, teachers. Yeah. 
So it goes to show you there's a cultural thing at stake, too. They're trying to indoctrinate our children at a young age. They're trying to teach people that gun ownership is bad. People that want to own guns are bad people. That, oh, you can't own a gun. You can't own this. You can't own that. So in these big cities, these kids are being told that you can't you can't own a gun. If a cop walks up to somebody in a huge city and, and someone has a question or even something related to talking about a gun, it's automatically dusted off as, well, what are you talking about? You can't have a gun. Yeah. So they lie to people and they don't – there's an unfair balance, right, where one side of the political stratum unfortunately – controls the education system and controls the educational environment and what is bringing these young kids up, right? And the problem is it's not a fair and balanced approach to what our rights and what history is. We won't even get into the history, but if you just look at it from a simple aspect of your rights, kids are not being taught in school about the importance of their rights, what their rights are, why we have them, the fundamental aspects of what make our country what it is and what make makes our rights what they are. They aren't being taught that. So at a fundamental level, even from just coming up out of school and getting into society, people are already being programmed by the liberal left and the school systems to not only have a disposition against gun owners, but to even think from the get-go that guns, that you can't even have them. Hmm. That's what they're being taught. They're being taught you can't own guns. And, so, and, of course, they're going to think, oh, well, it's normal to not be able to get a gun. It's hard to get a gun because we can't have them. Yeah, I do think Only that certain people can have guns, you know, that thing. Whether it's through, you know, the education system or, or through TV or, or whatever it is, I do think that um, – um, and obviously a lot of – there's lots of teachers that are that are great and uh, – uh, oh, I'm uh, certainly not and, saying there aren't yeah, good ones out obviously. there. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, but what, how, however it gets to people, I think also – TV and, and, and movies project a lot of things that aren't true at all about firearms and owning firearms. And people learn a lot that way too. Um, you know, it might be more entertaining to say that, you know, every gun's registered. And so the cops can just go look through a file and and find the bad guy with the, you know, whatever, like there's a lot of storytelling tricks. There's also a lot of, um, liberals. There's a lot of gun control advocates in media who, who push certain narratives too. In fact, um, the gun control groups will will often consult on um, on scripts. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Miss Sloan was a movie that came out a couple of years ago. It did terribly. It was one of the like worst performing movies in history. But it was about a, a gun control lobbyist, Miss Sloan, and I believe it was Everytown. Um, it's either Everytown or Giffords, but they. Uh, I did a story on it back then. A couple of years. It was a couple of years ago, but. But they they had consulted on the script, and they consult on scripts all the time. Um, so there certainly is like a direct and open relationship between the gun control groups and a lot of uh, uh, TV makers. And, right, but and how many times has a Hollywood crew come to a pro gun organization and say, "Hey, hey, how can we make gun owners not look like you know assholes?" I mean, I'm sure it, it just ha- doesn't happen. I'm, sh- I'm sure it happens occasionally, but not anywhere near. Obviously, well, anywhere think about near every horror movie, right? Sure. And, and there's this victim woman. Oh, my God. And what does she do? She goes and she grabs a kitchen knife. It's right. always like sure. the stereotypical kitchen knife yeah. that she goes and grabs. She never reaches in the counter and grabs a pistol, which is what Although I do most think, people would grab a handgun. <clears throat> right. I mean, I think, there's, I think there's a lot of um, gun control talking points that get pushed into, into TV and movies for sure. Like that's, right. Well, they that's don't undeniable. want you to actually protect yourself. <clears throat> they want you to be a victim. And grabbing sure. a knife, you're going to be a victim. 
grabbing right. a gun, that whoever, they better be ready. You know right. what I mean? Well, I guess it depends on the harm. Maybe, you, they right? don't want the damsel in distress to be able to grab a pistol and protect herself from but, the guy with a knife outside trying to kill her, sure. like a horror movie. Although I will say that, like, obviously there are ways that TVs and movies make, um, you know, a gun's cool. That That's undeniable, too. It's true. Um, it might not even be the intention of the writers, but John I mean, Wick, that's just the know, reality. Yeah. Because I mean, Matrix, yeah. yeah, like there, there's certainly like this, that sort of, uh, you know, American ethos of like self-reliance and the gunfighter. Yeah. The gunfighter basically. Even like but, going back to like the old but, Westerns. I yeah. Mean, that's like the way the gun, like it's right. like the whole thing of like, you, so the, you know, and die by the gun. it's, it is interesting. Cause there's, cause I think a lot of the Hollywood people that make this stuff are overtly anti-gun and they do oftentimes put, anti-gun narratives in certain kinds of tv and movies but they know also that the gunfighter sort of trope or or you know storyline is also very popular in america americans like that and so they still make that stuff but uh misinformation wise like you see a lot of misinformation out there people do not understand uh the basics of fire and this extends to your general public people who aren't gun owners and, and you see this a lot with new gun owners, right? You'll see people come in and they, they don't understand how the process works. Um, they think it's much stricter than it, than it even is, or they'll think, or the opposite, right? They'll think it's much easier than it actually is. Um, and, and so you get just a total misunderstanding of, of the gun laws of how guns work. And this is prevalent throughout all kinds of society. And to me as a reporter, the worst area for this is with other reporters because to me um you know having been in, in media for the last decade or, or whatever and a bit and i know a lot of uh, major media you know reporters and 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 the, and i have them come in and ask me questions and try to help improve their stories and their understanding because one of the big problems in in media bias when it comes to guns is is like yes there's a political problem there's there's most major media reporters are left-leaning people personally. But, you know, I, I think that most reporters, not all of them, of course, not all, some are well beyond wanting to be fair or trying to represent things fairly to their eyes. I mean, you've seen those people. Everybody knows that they exist, um, especially at the more opinionated, like cable news type people. But I think your average beat reporter wants to get things right. But the biggest problem is that they don't have a basic understanding of any of this stuff when it comes to guns of how guns work, what the laws are, anything. Um, and so that's why I always tell, like I was just spoke at, uh, the gun rights policy conference, um, this weekend. Right. And I was talking about guns and media and one of my messages to, you know, gun rights activists, uh, you know, my message to reporters is like, get, get some training, get some understanding, like come to me and I'll help you out. Like that's, that's what I try to tell reporters. Cause like, it's not, good that you're making this, these mistakes. It's, it's very bad that you don't have a basic understanding here. You need to learn if you're going to write about this. But when I tell gun rights activists or your supporters is like, you can be that person that helps uh, a reporter understand things. Like if, you know, if a reporter wants a quote for a story, you can, you can, uh, like I encourage people to interact with the media as much as they can. Um, and, and to try and, and help educate, uh, uh, the reporter and try to help them improve their, their reporting on the issue. Because in the end that is beneficial to everyone, you right. know? So, so like I see that mis misinformation uh, among all kinds of people, non gunners, new gunners, you know, 
but but what bothers me most is is among reporters because they're the ones who need to be informed so that they can inform everyone else. It's true, and I I find it very hard to believe that as a reporter you can report on something, for example, like suppressors, and you've never actually shot one. Yeah. So the extent no, of your knowledge is what you've seen, and this is unfortunate, but in John Wick, right. when he's walking through the mall and oh, like, they're, they're shooting at each other and like people yeah, are just the train by. station. Yeah, they don't hear anything. It's, that is oh, so yeah. funny I because like, oh that movie God. is like, oh, everyone it loves that movie for being, everyone loves the movies, the John Wick movies for being like closer to real life yeah, shooting or like competition shooting. But then you get to that scene and it's like, oh my God. Two steps back. So I've actually got a story that's going to perfectly tie into what you're talking about. And uh, I would like to mention, that's awesome that you you, you know, gave your speech, uh, you know, Thanks. this last weekend. Yeah. I want to mention also, um, so I teamed up with American Priority for the Amp Fest. Uh, I will be a speaker at Amp Fest this year. And oh, if anybody cool. is interested in attending, it is October 8th through 11th in Miami. Mm. So Ooh. if somebody wants to come down for that, uh, I will be speaking on the Second Amendment at the Amp Fest and American Priorities, great group of people. All right, I want to share a very quick story, and I, I promise this won't take a lot of time, but it ties in perfectly to what you're talking about. And I believe I might possibly be able to get at a slightly different angle that maybe I'm sure you have in the back of your mind, but maybe we haven't talked about it yet. So, all right, I I'm not going to mention the name of this reporter because I don't want to get her in trouble. Okay, and I'm not even going to mention the name of the news agency. It's a it's a it's a national news agency. Okay contacted me about, and I'm not even going to mention what type of gun technology it is because it's not important. The piece never got published. I'm getting to that. So I was approached by a journalist about a given type of firearms technology. You know, let, let's just say it could be anything, you know, bump stocks, binary triggers, ARs, whatever. Ghost okay. Guns. We were approached by the media and to see if we want to do a piece or talk to them a little bit about some of certain aspect of gun technology. Well, she came down, did the interview. It was very fair. She was actually really good in her reporting. She was asking very honest and genuine questions. I knew going into it that she wasn't pro-gun. That's okay. But to be fair, from a reporting aspect, she was being very concise and asking very, very real and honest questions. And I was giving her good responses. Oh, that's awesome. You know? So I contacted her maybe about three weeks after the fact, and um, she, she got back with me. She said, yeah. Um, we put the article together, and um, I feel like the article was excellent. I feel like the piece was excellent, and uh, I think we were being very fair. But our editor shot it down. They're not going to let us post it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you start getting in the issue where there might be, and, and I'm trying to be fair here, there may be some great journalists out there that are trying to be fair and trying to do a good job. But then when you get to the editorial level where they where it gets passed along to the editor, the editors of these places, that's where the buck really stops because they may go, you can't post this. This makes gun owners look like humans. We can't do that. we got to make them look like monsters. So there is a, a, a political play. The editorial control over these articles is a very, very real thing, and it does happen mm-hmm. in the issue that we're seeing in social media. Now, in our recent podcast where we were talking with um, the guys from Recoil about censorship, I'll just quickly sort of mention that in in a very brief vein here. I don't want to get on this subject too much, but that's the issue you see with the social media outlets, right? You look at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, whoever it may be. The issue now that I believe the Trump administration is trying to tackle really, really hard is when you look at Silicon Valley, you look at all of these social media outlets, 
are they a publisher or are they an open platform? The problem is they want to have the benefit of being an open platform and the tax breaks and the tax benefits and the little fringe benefits that come along with being an open platform, but they want to act like a publisher. So that becomes the issue. If I put out a piece on, for instance, every video essentially is a piece that I put out on YouTube, right? No matter what the subject matter may be, that's my opinion, that's my piece, that's my content. I made it and I put it out there for the internet to uh, consume, correct? Correct. So the issue is, all right, if I put out a video and they go, oh, well, we don't like the message that sends and we're going to delete the video or we're going to give you a strike or we're going to shadow ban you. That is editorial control over my content that I don't authorize. Like, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to pull the video. I want the video up. So the issue then becomes is like these social media companies are wanting to have editorial control over the content on their platform, but they want the tax benefits and the tax shelters of being a, you know, be, they they're they want to act like a publisher, but they're they're really... You know, they're supposed to be an open platform, but they act like publishers. Well, right? that's the issue. Yeah. I There's mean, I get where you're coming from. stuff coming down the pipeline for them. Yeah. But I mean, that that part of the law um, it was meant to to enable like, you know, websites to basically moderate their their, you know, user generated content. Right. Um, and so. Like, obviously, there's an issue there when you talk about YouTube or, or, or Facebook or some of these other places. There's, there's definitely issues of uh, them not applying their policies evenly. Consistently. Right. And I, I think that's the biggest issue to me, more so than, like, the, the legal aspect of it. Because then you get into, like, this was created so that people couldn't sue, like, uh, I mean, this, this, that, that section of the law goes back to like prodigy and the early days of like the internet and people would, um, the idea was that you could, you can get rid of some of like the nasty stuff that's on your website without having to be liable for all of the other stuff that gets posted there. So like someone can't sue YouTube because, uh, you know, some, some, crazy person posts like a, a sh- them going crazy and, and hurt, killing people, right? Like sure. you can't sue YouTube over that. Right. Well, um, beheading someone and posting a video is not a constitutionally right. protected right. Sure. Second Amendment is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you're going against something that's constitutionally protected, right. I could understand if it was some heinous dark corner that like 90% of people, if you ask them, they would say, oh yeah, yeah we shouldn't have that on, on a platform like YouTube. But when it's something that's constitutionally yeah. protected, it's a common activity. It's a family activity. Right. It's a common thing. It's it's socially, widely socially accepted in the United States. Right. That's clearly, blatantly, because they have a political that it doesn't line up with their politics, and that's not why these platforms exist. Is they're not a newsletter. You know what I mean? They're not well, a publisher. But that's that's the hard part of it because like. The same poly, the same that section of the law applies the same to like, um, you know, FoxNews.com as it does to YouTube or or Facebook in the sense that like Fox News doesn't have to publish um, something that George Soros or, or whoever else sends them uh, because they have the the ability or or any they don't have to put your comments on their stories if they don't want if they don't want to regardless of like the, the reasons why I think the, to me, like, um, I mean, I like those protections, uh, because I think they make it 
uh, more realistic, like that makes these platforms possible because otherwise you get sued a lot more often for, because if you're, if you're liable for anything that somebody posts on your website, that's basically all the section two thirty or whatever it's called, uh, says is that you're not, you're not liable for user generated content. If just because you decide you have some sort of moderation system for it. Um, now the problem though, beyond the legal aspect is exactly what you're talking about with, with, YouTube is out there and they're saying, or Facebook and they're, they're talking about, we want, we're offering an open platform to everybody. Um, and we're not, we're not like a, we're not mother Jones or we're not HuffPo. Like we're, we're meant to be a platform where we want people to come and share their content. I think the and authenticity of that statement is dubious at best. Right. And then, and then they're, but the way they're applying their rules is not even. And right. so that's what people notice and say, this is, this is ridiculous. Like why, why are you going after, um, you know, a a gun YouTube channel the way that you are when there's all this other terrible content on your platform that, uh, it violates your, actually violates your And not to mention all the freaking pedophilia. I mean, you can get on there and find little girls doing twerking videos and all random kind of random bull crap. And you know, dang well, it's just, it's scary that there's a moral boundary that they can cross like the left can cross many, many more slippery moral boundaries. But mm-hmm. the minute that we just ever so slightly step over the line, we all of a sudden get crucified. And that's the issue. They are given complete impunity yeah. to do what they want, whereby we are held under a microscope. And I think that's the clear issue there. Well, yeah. YouTube has already shown that and I'm saying YouTube and in, in specifically because they're probably the worst offender uh, out of all this. I say media. Facebook is. Well, Facebook hasn't, and I'll I'll go into detail. Fa- Facebook has pulled more of my posts than anybody else. They've pulled so more of Instagram. your posts, but uh, but YouTube has done the bidding of other countries more than say Facebook. Mm. So because they're global, you know, YouTube has gone out and you know, so something gets posted about uh, India, like they have like a certain belief. India, the government of India will reach out to YouTube and say, "Hey, I want you to pull down that video," yeah. and they will do it. China will say, hey, we don't want anything with, like, for example, Tiananmen Square. And they'll do everything they can to, to, to hide it. To hide that. Yeah. And that's why I say they're probably the worst offender because if they're willing to do it for other countries, they're also willing to do it for America. For the highest bidder yeah. in America. So yeah. if one side's going to give them more How money. How do you know Soros isn't sliding them millions of dollars to play screw screw games with and, people and like you've, us? And you've, you've seen this. I've, I've called you and said, hey man, you know, even like all the partners on uh, Ballistic Inc., they're getting shadow banned. They're not getting the interaction that, you know, we were used to seeing. And I'm like, this is, this is messed up, man. So I have to bring it to everybody's attention. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it goes beyond just specific, uh, you know, different interest groups or like guns or, or, or whatever, or like conservatives, like the, the, what the social media giants have done over the last, you know, decade or so is that they've moved away from allowing you to have organic reach. I used to run um, a Facebook page a couple of years back for, for, you know, where I was writing at the time. And it used to be that you could, um, once you got likes on Facebook, you could get organic reach just by posting to your 
people who liked you, but Facebook turned that off after a while. And they said, no, if you want to reach these people, even though they've liked you, the likes basically became almost meaningless because you still had, you had to pay to reach them. Right. And that's what you're seeing a lot more. And you know, it's, I think it goes to this macro problem of like, uh, for creators at least, right. Is that YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, they don't, they don't care about the people that for the most part that actually stay on their platforms and create content there. Um, uh, they care about how much, how long they can get someone to stay on their website, right? That's what they judge their like success by and, and how they sell their ads and how they make money. Um, and so the problem with that is they've, everyone's access your your user access to those websites and it's it's becoming more and more apparent on on twitter these days which is where i have my my large largest audience and everyone's switched over to that algorithm feed so that twitter decides youtube decides facebook decides what content you actually see even if you're subscribed to whatever channel on youtube or you follow whoever on twitter um, and so, you so don't get to see it just chronologically. You don't, well, I mean, you can, you can go on Twitter, you can go and switch your, your settings, but the, the default setting is the algorithm feed the trending, the trending page. Right. And so yeah. like when you look at your feed, unless it says that it's the latest tweets, cause it'll often, usually it'll say like home or, or like, you know, top tweets or whatever. And your feed, like if you go look at your app right now, <laughs> Everybody's like, um, oh, this true? <laughs> I'm looking, Hang on, uh, let me see. Like at the top of my app, it says, because I've intentionally switched it, it's, there's three little stars that show up at the, the top right, and you can click on it and say, mine say, latest, latest tweets show up as they happen. But they have the home feed, which is the default feed, and that just that shows you what Twitter thinks you're going to interact with based on like how other people have, like you have interacted with it. And that's how most of these platforms work now, is that they control who sees it yeah so yeah. it says yeah it home says shows latest. you it says home shows you top tweets first yeah and it says here see latest tweets instead you'll be switched back home after you've been away for a while yeah and they'll uh, switch you back so you got to go back That's and change the thing, it too. Wow. they switch you back without telling you i'm gonna switch it and see what comes up so if, if you if you do latest tweets like uh, that's when you get to that traditional YouTube feed that everyone remembers and knows well. And, yeah, I like this. Yeah, and, and it's not filtered in any way. But if you use the default feed, Twitter puts out the tweets that it thinks through its algorithm that you're going to want to interact with. And so if you're someone who has a big platform, if you have a big following on this site and you've been there for years, because Twitter just started doing this maybe two years ago and they've really kind of ramped up forcing everyone over to it. And so this happened with Facebook years ago and YouTube's been this way for a long time now. But if you were there before and after, you're going to notice that, hey, my average tweet doesn't get anywhere near as much interaction as it used to because not as many people are seeing it because Twitter and then occasionally you'll get this is how it happens for me now. Most of my tweets, not much interaction. And then occasionally a tweet will just go super viral. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a tweet that was 6,000 likes, which is a lot for me. For, yeah, that's a lot for, for you know, yeah. I have 35,000 followers or whatever. It's not, it's not yeah. like I'm not, you know, Chrissy Teigen or whoever. Right. But, but for me, 6,000 likes is, is a lot. That's a lot. It's one of my best tweets ever. But because the algorithm saw that I tweeted that 
it's it's topical to what it, you know it was about the Supreme Court, um, and then it saw that some big accounts had interacted with it and retweeted it or liked it. And it was like, okay, this tweet's going to get seen by everybody. <laughs> Whereas like I sent out a football tweet, uh, yesterday about the Eagles and how they, they make me sad or whatever. And that got like, you know, one, like <laughs> I'm waiting for the ensuing incoming butt hurt from all the people that are, are, you know, Eagles fans. <laughs> yes. Well, there's plenty to go around out there about that. So but, you're big into sports. I notice on yeah, your, on your Twitter, you're always Philly, firing off some sports Philly stats sports and guy, stuff. Yeah. So you're, you're a big football guy, huh? Football, hockey, you know, I like, I mean, I like all the sports, uh, football and hockey are my top ones. And I'm, you know, I'm from near Philly originally. Yeah. So, uh, you know, big diehard, uh, Philly sports fan, which right is uh, <laughs> I'm, which I'm, is an adventure. I'm trying to figure out a way that I like Twitter. I think Twitter is a great platform yeah. because it allows you to you know take that thought, even if it's like a snippet of a thought. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like this elongated formal post like you would see on like Instagram yeah. or Facebook where you're right. putting a ton of thought into I it. I like to think that you're dropping little mental yeah, nuggets. Yeah, it's like yeah. a little snippet. You're like, hey man, apple's oh, red. It's great. You know, like, like hey. Well, and it also like the appeal of it forever, especially for reporter types, you know, news news junkie types. It's great for, for media. I mean, yeah. it's like, it really it, allows you to... Because the whole... That's one of the ridiculous things about them switching over to the algorithm-based timeline is like the whole... One of the major appeals of Twitter is that it it was just chronological and mm-hmm. you could keep up with what was happening at any given. That's one of the things that really annoys me whenever they switch me back to the algorithm, because it's like, uh, like yeah, maybe it does a decent job at showing me tweets that, that are interesting, but they're old, right. you know, like they might be from 16 hours ago and tweets are des- generally speaking. Most tweets are, are, you know, they're meant to be read in real time. People tweet them as something is happening. Well, they invented and so the if whole, you, like, you see it 16 hours thing. later, like it's not useful anymore. Yeah. And it can be actually really confusing even um, because you're like, wait, what just happened right now? I know. No, this tweets old as heck. Yeah, like, what, is, what are you tweets. doing? Twitter? <laughs> Stop doing this. I hate it. But yeah, I, that's I, where they're all going. And that's, that's why I can feel like, I think oftentimes it can feel like you're being shadow banned and it's like a personal thing when really it's, that's just what they're doing to everybody uh, to a certain, to a certain degree. And it's, it just is way different than it was a couple of years ago. So I just passed along a tweet just now while we were, we we're having, oh, so boy. I said, so I'm coining the phrase mental nuggets in regards to tweets. So there I said that. Well, it's interesting that <laughs> half of like half of the content you see on Facebook and Instagram are people that screenshot tweets. So I'm, I find it very, very hard. True. And when you think about it, you hear about uh, Twitter having these um, problems with trying to generate revenue and they're no, everybody's trying to figure out what's going to happen. How is it that so many people are, are taking these screenshots of these epic tweets and putting it on another, so like basically regurgitating content yeah. and using it for their own content, but that base is having problems with generating well, there revenue. are a lot of RSS and um, aggregator right. uh, applications that will cross-promote your content to other platforms. So if there's one platform you like to use a heck of a lot... Uh, you can just automatically cross promote to like Twitter, for instance. Yeah. I think from Instagram, you can yeah. do that. You can post to Twitter. Well, Instagram by, by virtue, you know, Instagram must have changed their algorithm as well. Because I oh, mean, yeah. the last like week or so, I've been getting a ton of just like of 
feeds that I've never, I'm like, what is this? Instagram like, is like such a heavy algorithm. Instagram and YouTube are probably the heaviest ones. Yeah. Cause like, like I change something. YouTube, you I'm a, like, I'm, I'm, I love YouTube, right? I, I love, and I love YouTube for the creators. YouTube, this, a lot of these platforms, they don't, they oh, don't care about their, changed, their believe creators. Believe me. My, my life is, yeah. Sure. YouTube changed my life. Oh, absolutely. It it's a great platform. Saying. But I mean, YouTube doesn't care about the creators, whether it's gun creators or tech creators or car. Like I follow, I, I watch a lot of YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. But they're like, I don't know. Like their algorithm works to keep you, if you want to go down like a rabbit hole, it definitely is designed to do that. Oh, yeah. Like you watch some video and they're like, all right, I'll watch and this. And sometimes that's fun. Yeah. See, it's, you know. And it's great. And like, I get it. And like, it works to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but the front page for me, at least isn't that great because I'll tell you, there's one channel that I watch every single day on YouTube, which is, which is fun. I mean, it's you guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Careful. But, but also uh, I watch, uh, it's a channel called Funhouse, and it's like a gaming comedy channel. Oh, cool. I I'll love to them. check them out. They're fantastic. But I watch every one of their videos every day and YouTube never puts their new videos on my homepage at all ever i don't know why it's like this they put a lot of the other channels that i like i watch do you have you know the car notification bell no i probably should i never did any of the, the so bell. for for those of you that are listening if you're not aware of it when you go to subscribe to a youtube channel your favorite youtube channel usually up in the upper corner you'll see like it looks um like it's a little bell icon you want to make sure that you click that bell icon and it will actually it'll it'll be solid in the middle so if you see that it's hollow like it'll be an outline of a bell Okay, and then when you click it, it becomes solid and shows a little bell. What does it you gotta do? You got to make sure that you turn the notifications on. That means that when um, a new video is posted, you'll receive an email like, "Hey, your favorite content creator posted a, you know, yay, yeah. a new video from so and so." So, yeah, in order that. for that to occur, you have to uh, you have to enable notifications for every content creator. Yeah. So if you subscribe to a hundred channels, you got to go through all 100 channels. And right. if you want to receive notifications, you have to click the notification bell. Yeah. Usually I'll just go there and I mean, they, they do. It's weird because a lot of channels, they'll do a good job of just showing me the, their latest video on mm -hmm. the, the homepage. Um, and, you know, obviously I follow, you know, I follow a lot of channels, so they obviously aren't showing every single one every time, but, sure. but they'll do a pretty good job. I follow like Tavares. He's a, he's a car YouTuber. Cool. Um, I think he did, uh, demolition ranch i think he was on that so he does like a crossover with gun stuff too sure. occasionally so uh he's down in florida too maybe you guys should collaborate I don't know. maybe so but, have you um, ever um heard of the youtube channel smarter every day yeah yeah i yeah. like his stuff too yeah i mean there's he's a lot such a of cool dude there's a lot of great creators on there uh, yeah. and they have they've been they really youtube just does not do a good job of it's a shame because them. the content is so good it is um, now, I'd like to think we put out pretty decent content. Yeah, what we do. You know, absolutely. Now, we're not Michael Bay level. We don't have the huge budget. But you don't but, need to. But be. we do. I'd like to think. You know, shameless plug that we do a fairly decent job. Uh, so I want to. I want to change gears just for a second because I know we're kind of getting close to time. Uh, we're getting mm -hmm. close to an hour, so I want to make sure we leave a, a bit of time to discuss this. I'm going all the way back to the beginning of the podcast. Because this question's been floating around in the back of my mind, and I've been holding it back because I haven't known the right spot to stick it, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask it. So, when you're talking about being, you know, an unbiased media professional, a writer, mm -hmm. someone who feels that you're really wanting to to get the god honest facts and let people draw their own conclusions, I feel that there's an admir admirable trait about that because the Second Amendment does not really get the respect it deserves in the media. Yeah. 
when the media reports on something that's related to the Second Amendment, it's usually something negative. All right, something negative occurred. All right, there, therefore, we can spin it as a negative piece. All right, here we go. We're going to report, report, report. You never hear about the unbiased truth of what the Second Amendment is, the struggles that we go through. You know, you never hear about the liberal people uh, in whatever state that are part of this, you know, new five million gun owner mm-hmm. uh, batch, so to speak, that we've we've got in the oven. Okay, uh, <laughs> you don't ever hear about them, them complaining. Oh, I thought you could buy a gun and just have it shipped ship straight to your front door. Now. Right. Granted, whereby there are a lot of realistic people that understand that, okay, well, I've never bought a gun, but there obviously must be some formal process for doing so. But then you got people that are so disconnected that they literally thought that guys like us were calling up Colt directly and buying a machine gun and having it shipped straight to our house. No, that's true. So you never hear about the struggles of the average gun owner or or the the good things that happen. You never see the media report. Um, a self-defense shooting right. or a situation where some mass shooting was thwarted by a concealed carry, uh, you know, holder or, or something like that. So the issue is that there is informational bias uh, on the reporting end. Mm-hmm. And then going back to my original subject where I discussed the lady that came out and interviewed us as professional and as sweetheart as she could be. She still cannot post her piece because the editors would not let her. So yeah. I just want to say that I think it's important what you're doing and don't get discouraged. You know, keep doing your thing, putting that word out there, because we need more reporters that have the the ability and the willingness and the the editorial girth to be able to report the truth. As well mm-hmm. as the intestinal fortitude. And the intestinal to fortitude to say what's necessary. Maybe not what will get you the most you know, people that like you, sure. but the truth. Sometimes the truth is a tough pill to swallow for some people. Yeah. They can't handle it. No, I mean, I really appreciate you guys saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's so much more room for more gun beat reporters. Like, treating this as, as a beat, um, like you would... You know, you've got the the labor beat. Like, there's, there's, this is. I often compare it to the labor beat, right? Because there's about, I think, seven percent of U.S. households have a labor a union member in them right now. But every major newspaper has at least one labor reporter, um, and and you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. They, they should. It's it's an important issue. Labor, unions have a lot of power politically. Um, you know, so forth. It's good to have people dedicated to covering that. Yeah, but it's not like but, every mainstream media outlet has a gun guy. That, exactly. That's all they do. That's the problem. That's one of the biggest problems. Like, even if they were liberals, liberal leaning, um, their reporting would still be better if they actually did it more often. Because a lot of times, because um, like I said, the, one of the major problems. They anti-gun puff piece. You know, sure. But one of the major problems is like they don't have a base level of knowledge. They're, they're just not very knowledgeable about the issues. Most of the reporters that get assigned to do gun stories because they're like general assignment reports. They don't have a beat. They don't do guns regularly. Um, and so they're, they're like parachuting in from 40,000 feet. They don't know anything when they go to cover and they only get thrown in to cover, you know, they're mass, getting mass thrown shootings. into the fray in a position that they're very uncomfortable with. And so, so, of course, they're going to be unbiased. You know, they're going right. you know, to have a bias toward, towards Sure, it. or they just don't even know what they're talking about a lot. And you see that a lot in, you know, what was the full semi-auto, if you recall. Oh, that, yeah. Um, of course. That whole fun uh, escapade. I was the one who caught that, by the way. Before we <laughs> but, get to... Uh, uh, to but involve... I'd love to see more gun beat reporters. That oh, would, that would be a big That would be a big rep- uh, improvement. I, I want to mention something before we, uh, before we leave. We don't have too much more time on our hands, but I want to mention, um, I, in one of my recent discussions with YouTube, 
Okay, I'm not going to say what the discussion was about because I'm I, I actually requested that I not you know discuss what we talked about. But believe it or not, we do have some direct discussions with YouTube from time to time. The last time I talked to YouTube, I offered, and I, I doubt they're listening, but I did offer for them to come out to my place. You know, I, I feed them, set up a range day. I offered to to show them every bit of firearms technology from 1700s till now, like walk them through and like literally send them to essentially like a knowledge boot camp. Mm-hmm. Like I offered for them to come out to my place. We'd, you know, pitch some tents, like set it up right, like make sure they have a lot of fun and and tra- basically teach them like, hey, this is what this is. This is this. This is that. And, and really just make sure they come away with a good working knowledge of what guns really are. And that's the issue is that it's a willful ignorance that occurs, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's the reporters who never report on gun stuff they're willfully ignorant because it's just they don't do it. They don't care, right? It's not an issue to them. I think YouTube and a lot of the social media outlets are the same way. They think that gun owners are these evil people, right? They they don't look at us as humans, as people, you know, as good people. And the issue is, you know, a guy like me reaches out to him and says, "Hey, we'll, we'll be happy to, you know, show you X, Y, Z if you just come hang out with us. Like, we'll we'll teach you everything you want to know. We'll tell you. The door's open." We have an open door policy with anybody. So the issue, you know, when you see that there's clearly no interest there, that tells you pretty strong message of what their overall mindset is. I, I think they would like to feign ignorance at that point because that kind of give that lets them step away from that deniability of like we didn't know. So if they just stay ignorant, then they can kind of stay on that side of the line. I mean, I think there's people like that, right? Who don't want to learn. They don't care to learn. They don't they don't and they have these pre preconceived conceptions about gun owners that are very negative. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely people like that. I like to think though that the, uh, you know, I try to, I try to think more positively about it and think and try to say like, and, and I will say that a lot of the, I know a lot of reporters at mainstream outlets who don't, they don't, maybe they don't understand why people want guns. They might, then they have pre bad ideas about how the guns work and all this stuff, how, dangerous an AR is compared to I think most of them are just scared of losing their jobs but I I mean I think like they they just don't um, have that base knowledge and a lot of them want that they don't want to be misleading or dishonest they just don't uh, a lot of times don't know better which is which is still a failing you know it's not to say that that's imagine being in their position they should know better imagine being in their position and going to your boss and saying hey boss um, well you know I know you have me reporting on these gun pieces all the time um, would you mind if I, you know, took a trip out somewhere for three days to get some training on how to, you know, understand gun technology? Yeah. They'd be like, what? You don't need to understand that. You just need to report what we tell you to report. You know, oh, th- this horrible thing was used for this horrible thing. And that's all you need to know. Well, what like, about, yeah, I mean, there is definitely editorial bias in terms of like story oh, yeah. selection. Like <laughs> that, that's why you don't have a gun beat reporters. If, if there was editorial decision at the higher levels of, of a newspaper that this was an issue that they uh, were, were serious about wanting to cover, you would have more gun read reporters. And so there's definitely, there's definitely part of that going on. I, I don't disagree there. Um, I just try to try to, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt with a lot of this stuff of like, this not good what's happening. Uh, but I hopefully, you're wanting to do better. And, and oftentimes they do. I have had similar to your situation with, uh, with the reporter you talked, I've had reporters from every major outlet come in and ask me for guidance on stories. Cause they wanted to get 
the story right. You know, yeah, they want to actually be a good journalist. Exactly. And so like, I've seen that firsthand and that's where I come from on it. Um, and, and, and like, yes, it's not everyone. Uh, there are obviously going to be people who don't care and don't want to learn better and have their mind completely set on this negative yeah. false, uh, assumptions about, about gunners. But I think the most of the lower level reporters want, want to do as good a job as they can in everything they report on, including guns. They just oftentimes don't have the, the knowledge and the resources to help them with, which is, when you think about it, that's a failing of the institutions, right? That the papers themselves or the, the outlets themselves should have uh, better resources for these reporters to uh, actually understand what they're talking about, right? In all situations, but especially for us in, in when it comes to, to guns. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, and that's something that I'm hoping over my career to, to improve in the long run, uh, you know, try trying to create a, maybe a system for, for teaching reporters. I mean, I already have resources out there, uh, that I'll share oftentimes. And when guns are in the news, I have a, uh, a PowerPoint of like the basics on different issues that come up a lot. Like, you know, the, the, the universal background checks, what the gun show loophole is, is actually referring to why it doesn't really have anything to do with gun shows. Right. Um, uh, you know, when they're talking about private sales, obviously, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, what assault weapons versus assault rifles, the actual definitions of those terms and where they come from and, and stuff like that, that comes up a lot. Uh, you know, I put together a, a resource that I share with, with reporters, um, uh, whenever that's in the news, but, um, I, you know, hopefully down the line, I can go further than that. Maybe have an import person class for reporters. They do the NRA does this sometimes some groups do this, uh, the DC project will have range days where they'll have reporters come out. Um, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a constant thing, but it does and happen. It's not widely publicized. Either. Sure. Uh, but I, you know, I will say that there are certainly, especially in recent years, there've been some really good gun reporting projects from major outlets. Like, like time magazine did um, a whole issue on guns in America that I thought was really good. I mean, I was, uh, I was part of it. They interviewed me as part of it, but but, um, so, you know, they had a whole cover story, uh, where they went out and interviewed like 200 different people, um, from both sides of the issue. And just, they, they didn't try to like, you know, editorialize over what people believe. They just basically just interviewed people on each side of the issue and then just published what those people believe there's like audio recordings. That, and they did like a whole really cool art project with this, uh, this artist called JR and, and where he did like a collage, um, um, cover that was, it was a lot of fun to be a part of, honestly, and it was cool being on the cover of time and all that. But, but the more important part was that they were actually like, um, directly representing what gun owners believe. I mean, obviously they were doing the same thing for gun control act activists as well, which I, which is fair enough. Um, at least, but I thought they were exactly like they, I thought it was that, that project was great because it, it accurately represented what a lot of gun owners and gun rights activists believe and in their own words directly, you know, they, they had them come in and and sit down and do an audio interview. I did one too about, you know, what we're talking about today with like reporting uh, gun reporting. And then they just, they published that directly to people for everyone to hear and judge for themselves. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a really good uh, project and I'd love to see more stuff like that. Definitely a rare forward. thing in journalism it's, today. Yeah, it is fairly rare, but it does happen, I guess, is, is my point. Well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Sure. 
Well, as, as far as the misinformation in, in journalism, I think it starts from the top down. And when you see, um, you know, say, for example, I just wanted to hit this before we wrap it up. When you look at, like, say, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's website, where his he specifically says that he's going to stop the online sales of firearms, mm. he's misrepresenting that because he's leading the public to believe that you can just click and ship a firearm to someone's house. The yeah. way that it's presented right. is very misleading. Yeah. So when journalists see that, they're like, well, if uh, they can misrepresent that, or if they're just not familiar with the process that it takes to purchase that as a, as a normal civilian, you're yeah. not going to go on. Point. You're I not think that's go just the latter. They just don't really know. And right. I'll just but repeat they, whatever they say. They see that and they which go, is bad. that's a great idea. You shouldn't be able to do that, but you can't do that in the first place, right. but it's been represented in that way. I mean, right. there's thousands upon thousands of American jobs at stake. I mean, we yeah, want to talk about sure. the economy. We want to talk about people, you know, being successful and working hard and, and doing their part and just being a productive member of society. I mean, gosh, you look at the bump stock situation, and mm-hmm. I don't want to get into this because I know we have to wrap up. Uh, we may have to have Stephen on for a, another episode. I think we're hey. going to probably make that happen. I'd be done um, for it. But nice. I think that what you wind up seeing with the bump stock situation, look how many people got put out of business. Look how many companies got put out of business, how many sure. jobs it costs. I mean, yeah, in the giant scheme of things, it may not matter to, to the people on the Hill. It may not even matter to people that it doesn't matter to, I suppose, but uh, from a principle and moral standpoint and right and wrong, uh, you know, I can't imagine being a kind of person that would ever do something that would hurt someone's livelihood. And now if that livelihood involved, you know, really heinous, horrible things, I could, I could maybe understand, you know, I obviously wouldn't uh, support someone that's involved in the, you know, sex trafficking world or the child, uh, you know, taking advantage of children or something like, you know, the universally heinous things that we can all say, Hey, that's, that's not legit. That's not good. That's one thing. But when it's, you know, something that shouldn't even exist in the beginning at all, you know, the reason we have bump stocks is because all the fiasco over machine guns, machine guns should have never been outlawed to begin with or regulated to begin with. So bump stocks were just a stepping stone, a a workaround for something that shouldn't have been, uh, it shouldn't have happened in the first Mm -hmm. place. Now that's a story for another day. We won't get on that. Yeah. We'll get into that one. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a future, future podcast, but guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and make sure that you check out Steven's um, Twitter account. And also if you are a member of the media and let's just say you're listening to this and you want to reach out to Steven, his direct email address over at the uh, free beacon is on his Twitter account. You can go check him out. It's Steven Gatowski. Just look it up on, uh, on Twitter. You'll see him on there. Make sure you follow him and, uh, and support him. It's G U T O W S K I. It's a crazy Polish name. There you go. (laughs) Well, uh, we really appreciate you joining us today, Stephen, and uh, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast as well. Uh, This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Well, we may have to do another one at some point. So uh, I I think this is a great conversation. I'd I'd like to, you know, continue it at a later time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, guys, thanks so much. Make sure you tune in every Friday here on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. We really, really appreciate the support. So, uh, guys, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Many more on the way. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.